What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode number 92 of Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries for Thursday, April, wait, January, February, March, April, May, May 3rd <laughs> of uh, 2018. Yeah, I literally, like, I can't keep track of, of anything. I'm constantly having to look at the year and be like, is it 2019 or 2018? Like, <laughs> is that a sign that I'm, like, losing my mind a little bit? Maybe. Anyway, we're here. The other voice that just said maybe. I'm hoping that is not a voice in my head. I'm thinking that as a real person, and his name that I've chosen to give him, if it is a voice in my head, is Mike. How you doing, Mike? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, feeling pretty good about passing all my classes this term. I just got one more uh, thing to do for this term. I'm going to take a quiz for a foreign film class tomorrow, and then after that, I'm completely done. And then this summer, I'm still going to work, though. I'm going to work on a video project for my dad, and I'm going to work on writing my book about the horror films of the 1980s. So, you know what you should Anna title Potter. your book? You should title your book uh, TLDR. <laughs> <laughs> I'm making sure that the the one of the reasons why I'm taking writing classes at uh, WC Vancouver is to make it so my writing isn't as... Uh, uh, TLDR wordy, um, but but at the same time, it's how I speak. So just how I type is how I speak. Yeah. It's just how things go. I honestly think that's better than people who just like fucking abbreviate shit and don't even. I don't even know what they're saying. They're not even speaking in English. Well, I mean, I've, they're speaking in a foreign language. <laughs> I've had conversations before with people in person. Um, usually usually girls because they probably feel like I'm trying to hit on them or something. I'm really not, yeah. but, but you know, they might feel like I am. And they just give me these really short ass responses where I can, I literally can do nothing with what they give yeah. me. But like, if I meet someone like you and they give me this really long detailed response, I'm like, okay, I got a lot of points here that I can jump off of <laughs> to form a conversation with this person. Yeah. You know, yeah. When, when, when they just give me these one answer short responses, I feel like I'm Johnny Carson all of a sudden. So I like, hear you got another, another movie coming out. Tell us a little bit about that. Like, I feel like I'm interviewing them or something. <laughs> um, so, I mean, it's not, it's not always a bad thing. Especially can you imagine a podcast with somebody, the co-host is just like, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, I that's uh that that would definitely not make for a good um unless it's one of the so, there's some podcasts out there with like four, five, six fucking people on the show and um you can have too many. I know. I I feel like it's too many. If if it was like four or five people like you and me, that would be way too many. <laughs> yeah, cuz it would just be like, whoa. It'd just be overload. A, yeah, word jumble <laughs> deluxe to the extreme. That's cool. You're uh, finishing up with college. Uh, I'm just doing the same old shit. I just finished a YouTube video that, um, you know, we talk about YouTube here, so I feel like it's somewhat relevant, even if people are rolling their eyes right now. Man, um, you know, I, as a content creator on YouTube, when you release a few videos, a few s strains of videos that get a couple thousand hits, you, you feel like you're on this like winning streak and you're like, oh, yeah. I'm getting more subscribers. I'm doing the this channel awesome stuff. Yeah. 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 And, um, <laughs> And, and then all it takes is releasing that one video that doesn't hit and, and gets like in bombs and views for you to get slapped right back down to reality, man. The last video I put out, that was some cold lotion right there, man. That was like, man, really? 50 views after being out for a whole day? Like, God damn, I thought I'd move past that, that phase nope. of my YouTube career. No, nope. maybe people are like, well, 
a million people have already done videos about Tim and Eric, so they're just like, who cares? That's the thing. I didn't. I, I didn't see anybody do like a documentary or, or a short kind of analysis on. Maybe or they didn't. I'm surprised that didn't do a little bit better. Yeah, that does have a cult following. Um, Some of my videos but, have like a slow burn effect. Like at first, they don't. They they do for like the first six months. They do absolutely dick. And some then, of my older videos are like ridiculous. I don't even know why they have as many views as they do. Must have been some weird new thing back when YouTube had their algorithm. And then and then I'm just like, but I'll take it. Yeah. Um. And it was my birthday yesterday, so that was fun. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's but, right. Uh, that's that's probably something I should have said. <laughs> more up front but that's how little birthdays mean to me personally i don't know how, about you josh is dreading his next one He's oh like, my god oh, no. september no. i'm going to be 30 30 years old dirty 30 <laughs> hate that fucking phrase do we have to come uh, with a uh, phrase for everything nowadays for fuck's sakes can i just turn 30 in peace is there even anything for 40? I don't even think... Yeah, oh, uh, 40, you're over the hill. That's the whole say. Or it was when I was growing up. Oh, I thought up. that was 50. No, no, it's 40. I remember my dad's over the hill birthday. It was at my aunt's house, and they had all... Like, they had tombstones on his cake and, like, all these... He's 40, not 60 years old. Well, I know 40 seems young now, right? Now that we're, like, now that we're going to be that in a decade, now it's like, wait, 40's not that old. Uh <laughs> But when I was, I never thought it was that old. Period. I, I did. You know, when I was a kid, I was like forty. You were a grown ass adult, like middle aged man. <laughs> middle aged. I mean, that is middle aged <laughs> to me. I mean, fifty is middle aged. I don't know, because to me, middle age meaning that you're in the middle of your lifespan. M yeah. And who's really living to eighty? I mean, honestly. Well, a lot of people, more people live to 80 now or 90 than they did in the past because of the advancements in medicine and so on and so forth. Let's remind all of our listeners of their mortality. That'll get us views. <laughs> <laughs> That'll get us listens for sure. This is bonus, guys. This is, put this on the B-roll. We're re relying too much on that, that B-roll these real. days. <laughs> um... Anyway, this is a podcast about Unsolved Mysteries and Unsolved Mysteries We Shall Talk About. We have an action-packed Unsolved Mysteries episode this time around. Um, Smacking you right in the face with those mysteries. That's that's right. That's that's right, and that is assault. But in this case, you don't <laughs> mind it. That's a sick thing. Um, you can like us on Facebook by going to facebook.com. Go to the group section and search Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries and join our group. It's a lot better than our stupid fan page. Dude, fan pages, I've said it once, I'll say it a million times. Fan pages are the most worthless things on Facebook because they, they shove all your comments to the side of the page. We can't see anything you say. I mean, it's cool if you want to like the fan page and review, give us a review, which a lot of people did when we first started, but it, it honestly does nothing. Um, join the group. I mean, the group is, you know, we actually interact in there and there's a, a group of people in there who are just like, on the ball when it comes to breaking news with mysteries and shit like that and they do a good job there you can also um sub, uh kick us some shekels on patreon uh it's patreon.com slash uncovering unexplained mysteries uh you get the podcast early um you get uh, bonus segments which you will get one um here soon because we're going to be doing a bonus segment on this same here podcast and you will only be able to listen to that by being a patreon um First case we're going to talk about is one that Mike picked out called uh, Russell Evans, a case of Russell mm -hmm. Evans. Yep. It's from uh, season three. And uh, 
I thought it was a decent case. Uh, the fact that it's still unsolved and there's some things going on that there might be potentially maybe one of the kids might have a cop that might be a parent we don't know about. Uh, and there's also it also had that typical that really wonderful unsolved mysteries charm, you know, from the early 90s. And I use the word charm, which a lot of people would just say cheese, but I'm using charm instead because that's just I don't like using the word cheesy. The only thing that's cheesy is is my is a casserole or a nice big bowl of mac and cheese or or grilled cheese sandwich. Or if you haven't taken a shower in like five days, you might be a little cheesy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just took your took the wind right out of your sails. You're like, yeah, that. Uh, okay, so um, Russell Evans wa- uh, was a eighth grader who was found dying on a roadway after being hit and run by a vehicle, but his parents believe that he was murdered. Of course. That that is totally a trope or unsolved mysteries cliche by this point. Yes. Yes it like, is. You you could totally make it a drinking game out of it. Like take a shot every time a parent says my my kid was murdered. My kid was, yeah, right. You know, um, it wasn't suicide. It wasn't, they were just being dumbasses and we're, you know. It wasn't an accident. You know, like the kids who got run over by the train or, you know, whatever. Like it's, it's never, it was never, it was that never was the, sad, but those kids, I think they just, I think they did something ultimately. I did, they, I think they, they uh, got under the influence and then passed out and then got ran over. Well, you know, parents think that their kids are little angels, you know, and they, they, I think a lot of parents neglect to acknowledge the fact that kids do really fucked up stuff and they're curious and they're learning about the world around them, so... It was also easier for kids back then to hide certain stuff. Like, parents now, they'll just hack into your fucking phone. That's true. And then... <laughs> I can't even imagine how my life would have been if I had had like a smartphone as a teenager, yeah. you know, like what kind of trouble I could have gotten into. So on June 4th, 1989, in Spokane, Washington, two friends on their way home were startled when their headlights w- revealed a body stretched out on the road. 13-year-old Russell Evans had apparently been struck by a car. He was barely alive, calling out for someone named Brian. Russell was admitted to Sacred Heart Hospital at 1.30 a.m., doctors struggled through the night to save his life as his parents stood by. The emergency team worked frantically, but by morning, Russell Evans was dead. Russell was an active and popular 8th grader at Libby Middle High School. Uh, Li- Libby Middle School, which is interesting. Middle school, which I guess is a term that they used to use for junior high. Because I don't really see that used nearly as much now. That's nah, me. It's inter- at least it's interchangeable. I've I've called it middle school. Sometimes I say junior high. Yeah, it's just inter- yeah. So he was an active and popular eighth grader at Libby Middle School in Spokane, and by the time of thirteen, he was already six foot three inches tall. Wow. Aaron Abramson was one of his best friends. We did everything together. He was my he was at my house every day, and he was very well liked. He had a good sense of humor, and he got along with pretty much everybody. He had no problems. Must have had some problems because somebody hit him. <laughs> he had problems later. That's that's definitive. Yeah, yeah, for sure. On the night of June 3rd, in the hours before Russell died, he was with Aaron and other friends hanging out at a local park. It was a typical summer evening until they were approached by two other teenagers. It then escalated into an argument over Aaron's girlfriend. Aaron said he was threatened and Russell came to his defense. And in this reenactment, 
first off, they talked about how Russell was like, he his dad was like, he had a plan, he had everything together, he was going to go to college and get a degree, and he was going to play pro ball, and he was somebody who plays basketball, and he was... He he was he had he had uh, visions of being a star and and so on and so forth and I'm like he probably would have never made the NBA, <laughs> maybe not, uh, maybe he would have I don't know but more than likely probably not. <laughs> uh, there's a higher percentage of basketball players in high school or middle school or whatever that never make it pro, than there are the ones that do make it pro. Oh yeah, it's. It's just like basically getting a record deal almost, you know, like there's yeah. tons of bands out there, but, you know, only a few of them get signed. There's even some that even go to college and they play with players that go to the NBA and they still don't get drafted. So it's one of those things where, yeah, I mean, but hey, good for him. I mean, he had a plan. He had things together and uh, it's just a shame he, uh, his life was taken away from him before he was able to at least have the chance to try to make it in into the NBA or into at least or, or even just college or just the NCAA basketball but the the actor they chose to play that played this uh, kid is definitely not a kid <laughs> um uh, but of course you know they're limited with the actors that are available uh, that that's a part of the reenactment thing. You would have somebody who's supposed to play like an eighth grader, and they're clearly in their twenties, <laughs> right? And he had this like bleach blonde hair, and in the reenactment with the whole argument, it's like a group of black men, and they start like it, it's it's really too, it's kind of kind of stereotypical how they're acting. So yeah, one of the teenagers said, "You better watch out because maybe I'll send my homeboys on you." But I didn't really think much of it. So I just turned around and we left. And he got in his car with his friend and he took off. After leaving the park, Russell spent the rest of the evening at a friend's house. Then at 12.30am, he called his father to say that he was heading home. Based on evidence found at the scene, police constructed a hit-and-run scenario. Spokane Police Lieutenant James Hill is quoted here. On impact of the vehicle, he was separated from his shoes. He finally came to rest about 75 feet from where we think he was struck. Now, Ouch. that strikes me as very odd. Well, I mean, you know, I think it's possible. It's possible, but is it very likely? I mean, didn't you get, like, weren't you, like, airborne when you got hit by that car? Yeah, 15 one? feet in the air, but not 75 feet across, you know. Yeah, this this guy would have really had way. to have been plowed by something. Yeah. Which, I mean, could have happened. Yeah, it could have, but I don't know. It just seems like a little bit crazy. And then he also fell down a hill, so it's like, I don't know. I love the way that Unsolved Mystery shows the the body and then shows the shoe. They they have one of those those really cheap CGI graphics that I love, but at the same time, it's definitely showing its age. Yeah, you know, they show like the little person who looks like a bathroom sign guy, <laughs> and then they have like. Some dots and then like X's. Oh yeah, like, this is yeah. where like the 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 shit. It looks like it was made on Microsoft PowerPoint. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, I know. I I yeah. Honestly, I really like those. And like even nowadays, like if I watch like a, a YouTube channel and and they pull and they do like a diagram like that that they made themselves to help better explain something, I'm like, cool. I understand it because it's simple to my fucking stupid brain. 
<laughs> and I don't know. I, I always liked it when they did that too. But yeah, now people be like, oh, there's not an HD. I, I can't even watch that. That's so lame. Well, some people would be like that with this whole show. It's not an HD. So they'd just be like, boo, it's not full screen. <laughs> HD is... It's full screen. It's not, it's not filling up my entire screen. It's not HD. HD is so overrated. You do know that some... You do know... Well... I don't know about that. I mean, some some things really do benefit from that. But with something like this, I don't know if you could really remaster it any better than what they have. Oh, well, I really don't. I know. think you could because, oh well, did did we talk? Was it Kevin who told us? I don't remember where uh, when we talked to a cinematographer for Unsolved Mysteries, Kevin O'Brien, yeah. um, the director of photography. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Um, if you guys want to go back and listen to the interview, I forget who it was. But someone was saying that they shot on film, and then towards the end of the show, they started shooting on tape. Yeah. Okay. Where did All right. where did we hear? Did we hear that from somewhere? I heard it from. Somewhere. Yeah, I think I think it was. Yeah, I think it was from Kevin. Yeah. So I think definitely the earlier episodes could be remastered in HD because they could be, but the money. Film Rise isn't like made of cash to be able yeah, to do that. Yeah, I mean that. nobody. I don't think anybody's really asking for that. Any anybody who's a fan of 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 the, course, like we, we would be like totally give us the HD remasters. But I can see honestly, <laughs> I'm happy with the VHS rips. The mood and, and story <laughs> and atmosphere carries over so well for me. Uh, yeah, I, I in fact I think the older and crappier it looks, the better. Honestly, <laughs> shows like that aren't supposed to be in 60 frames per second. 1080 or 4k or whatever it well I, i'm fine with it when they remaster it where it still has grain and things like that i mean it does it, it makes it so it looks more like what it would have looked like when you saw it in the theater yeah now the the ones where they uh remove the grain digitally or smooth stuff out that's a nightmare there are certain ones that just look waxy as hell and they look terrible now so, this this mic must be one of those famous tangents that people are always bitching about on our, on yeah. our reviews. Yeah, I'm catching yeah. it right. I'm having like a surreal moment because I'm like standing outside of myself right now, like going, "Oh, this is what they're talking about." We literally got super off topic, <laughs> but that's okay. So uh, now we're turning back onto the right track. Turning here. the ship, turning the ship around. Yeah, turning the ship around. Forensic pathologist George Lindholm concluded that Russell was likely struck in the back by a bumper. However, his father, John Evans, had a different opinion. We looked at him after he died, and I thought he had been in a fight. Later on, when the police started talking about hit and run, his mom and I just couldn't buy that. The injuries weren't there. John and Sue Evans then obtained copies of the official police report, complete with photographs. They noted that Russell's shoes didn't have their laces and that they had been torn out. To Russell's parents, it seemed like an important clue. Yeah, I mean, would that happen when the car hit you? Would the shoelaces just be torn out and then flown around on the ground somewhere? Something didn't feel right to Russell's father. So John and Sue then became convinced that their son had been struck by something other than a hit-run driver. So uh, they had their own pathologist to investigate. While he did conclude that Russell had been hit by a car, the pathologist also told John that he found evidence of a struggle. The pathologist came back to us with findings that Russell had been in a physical altercation prior to his death. If a body flies through the air, when that body hits the pavement, there would be some massive scraping. Russell did not have this. I can say from personal experience, 
But yeah, there's a massive scraping. <laughs> yeah, if, if you want to... Rem uh, uh, I'll remind everybody yet again, Mike, Mike actually was hit by a car at one point in his life, so he, he is the expert on this. So, uh, uh, regrettably the expert <laughs> on something like that. Based on the research, Russell's father reconstructed his son's final moments. I think it was a fight going back up the hill. According to his hands, he got his licks in. He had finger bruises on his face and on the side of his nose. Finger bruising on his upper arms, as though he were being held. Due to the allegations, the boys involved in the altercation with Russell and Aaron were given polygraph tests. They all passed. That doesn't mean anything. <laughs> Sandy Ferris, the woman who found Russell at the scene, claimed Russell was calling out to someone for help that night. When I first got there, the first thing I asked him was what happened. And he started calling for Brian. He said it more like the person was in listening distance or something like that. And that his friend would have been there. And after the, after the police had gotten there and they had started to put Russell in the ambulance, we saw a boy in white shorts up in the bushes and he was running up the hill. And it just kind of cracks me up, the image of this, like in the reenactment. It's just this boy with like a, an 80s mullet and he's in, he's, you know, he's got the white shorts and so they they pan to him, and he's like looking cowering, looking like a scared squirrel. And then, hey, you know, then he's like, whoa, and then he runs off. Yeah, and he's like only wearing shorts too. Like that's, yeah. <laughs> that's all he's wearing. <laughs> no, no, he was wearing a white white t shirt too. But yeah. So, um, I tried to tell the policeman this a couple of times, but he kept telling me to get on the sidewalk. I thought maybe that that could have been Brian. John Evans knew a friend of Russell's named Brian and asked him if he knew anything. I asked Brian what he was wearing that night, and he said, Well, I was wearing white shorts and a white t-shirt, but I was nowhere around. Then later down the line, when the police questioned him, he denied owning that kind of outfit. That's already suspicious to me. That raises a bunch of red flags. So police speculate that the man Sandy saw running off was simply a curious citizen that heard the commotion and went out to take a look. Why would... I don't buy that. But when Sue Evans arrived at the hospital that night, someone named Brian had just called the emergency ward to ask about Russell. She finds this more than a bit suspicious. Who would have known about this unless somebody named Brian was at the scene who he was calling for? Russell's father, John, remains suspicious about the events of that night. There may be one or two people that know more than they're telling, and the reason they're probably not telling is that they are afraid for their lives. Evidence from the scene fully convinced Russell's parents that he had been attacked and murdered, while police still believe that Russell was a victim of a hit and run. However, officially, the case remains unsolved. I think he was killed. I think it was the people that confronted him earlier. It was talking about, I'll get my homeboys out on you. Uh, apparently, I read somewhere that in this area, there might have been uh, some gang activity. He was this white boy you know who's uh trying you know trying to act tough and trying to talk shit and get involved in stuff and i think there was a member of the gang who was like fuck this 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 white boy i'm gonna take him out and i think that's what happened yeah yeah i mean i i pretty much agree with all that you know i i, I don't really have a lot of dogs invested in this particular case you know i, I it seemed pretty cut and dry to me
Yeah, I mean, it's just one of those things where I thought it was interesting because of the whole hit and run aspect and how there were these different pieces of evidence that really didn't necessarily match up with the idea that it was just a hit and run. But who knows? Maybe there's some uh, police corruption involved. Who knows? It just seems like that's a go-to, right, for us? Yeah, police corruption. For police. <laughs> well, hey, you know, I mean, a lot of times, a lot of times that's, uh, that's probably, you know, that's probably the case. It's like I said, I say it once, I'll say it a million times. Some of these cases you, you, you look, you watch and they're peeling back swatches of carpet, dumping, you know, that solution on there to make the blood glow in the dark, you know, and then they find the, you know, uh, they find out uh, two weeks earlier, you know, they find the very razor that some guy shaved with and they match his blood to it. And then in other cases, the cops go in there and they go, yeah, no, it's a suicide. All right. See you guys later. Bye. They're down the road, you know, <laughs> like uh, making a murderer. Like if you if you ever get a chance to watch that series, man, you are going to be pissed. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just the, you know, the police work is inconsistent at times as far as like, why do they go so in depth for some, but not others? It's it's almost like it's it's like a a, a crapshoot. You never know what you, what kind of investigation you're really gonna get. You know, are you gonna get this super detailed? One? I think a lot of it too has to do with public opinion. Like if it's a particularly like egregious act that got a lot of headlines and stuff, that there's gonna be more that the police do. But if it's just like this thing mm -hmm. to where like the mother and father are championing the case and that's it you know and it doesn't have any media coverage and this that and the other then it might yeah. be more difficult i also uh, i also want to mention this case because i felt like when you watch this segment it really is a quintessential unsolved mystery segment in the way that maybe it's not the greatest case ever but it's just from the atmosphere and the mood and the way things are shot and everything there's a lot of uh, sequences that are shot at night with that that uh typical unsolved mystery cinematography and the creepy music and then and just this black truck that just come barreling down the road and just hits this guy you know I mean, that's terrifying yeah i mean just imagine you just it's like that brayman hollow road attacker segment that's another one that's pretty crazy that's even crazier it's a woman just driving along and then this fucking psycho in a pickup truck starts fucking with her and shoots a shotgun through her windshield and shoots her in the face. Yeah, see, it's shit like that, you know. I say, I've said this again. I've said this many times, but it was watching shit like that that put, put the thought in my head as a kid that, oh, these things happen in the world, and they can happen, and they will happen. Because, it, you know, it makes it seem like, oh, this kind of stuff happens all the time. Like some psycho comes out of nowhere and starts shooting at you. Um, and that's, that's what really instilled me with a lot of paranoia. Yeah. As a the kid. next, uh, but uh, I don't really have anything else to say about this case except rest in peace, Russell. And hopefully there'll be some kind of peace that can be found. You or you for will him be and avenged, for his hopefully. Or your family <laughs> or something. Well, not necessarily revenge, but I mean, at least some sort of justice. But we'll see. I don't know. Uh, it's been a long time. But then again, there were a couple cases recently that were solved. So you did. It's, it's, it's like if I could quote. Just someone who's like real, like who I find, you know, kind of prolific and uh, very intelligent and artsy and poetic, really. If I can quote um, Justin Bieber, uh, never say never. <laughs> you know, I mean, he, he coined that phrase oh, and, and you should just never say never. 
It ain't over till it's over. To quote Rocky Balboa. Oh my God! I knew you. Do you? I think you have a Rocky quote for almost every situation. <laughs> anyway, let's move on to uh, my pick for to a case yeah. that uh, we'll never, hopefully, ever have to experience or be involved. We don't have to be paranoid about this particular one. Yeah, um, this is a case of Jesslyn Rich on the Ultimate Collection. It was known as the uh, woman's women's women's prison killing. Yeah. So anyway, this is the case of Jesslyn Rich. Um, this is a this is a, a segment that we've referenced a lot on the podcast, but we've never actually like talked about it or you know covered the subject at at length. So um, go ahead and do that now. This is one of my um, more favorite ones um, off the Ultimate Collection of the from the uh, bizarre murders. Um, again, you know, sticking in sticking with themes of corruption. This is. Um, in which the, uh, the the first case we talked about could have been speculated as corruption. This is textbook, by far, no questions asked, prison corruption. Corruption with a capital C. Yes. So, um, Frontera Prison in California is one of the largest penitentiaries in America for women. Its maximum security wing houses some of the state's most dangerous female offenders but it's the alleged criminal activities of some guards and administrators that have drawn the most attention. They need to make a show about this prison, if there isn't already one. I think there was something called Frontera. So, so it began with the mysterious disappearance of Frontera guard Jesslyn Rich in 1984. Some former prison employees believed that Jesslyn was silenced because of what she knew about a prison drug ring run by other guards. Jesslyn Rich was a 35-year-old divorced mother of two. While working at a Frontera prison, she had maintained a straight-A average in criminology classes at night school. At the time of her disappearance, Jesslyn had reportedly grown concerned about drug dealing inside the prison walls. Jesslyn was last seen at a country western bar on November 11, 1984. She and a friend, Marilyn Alt were joined by two male acquaintances. Marilyn recalled what happened that night. And before I get into this, it, it, it of course, is your, like, textbook, Unsolved Mysteries in a Bar. So <laughs> let's try <laughs> our best to, like, you know, make this look like a country and western bar that exists in the real world. And we can't use copyrighted music, so... So it's just that generic slide guitar. Yeah, just that generic-ass, <laughs> like... I'm sure they have like stock music of of uh, like libraries, like a uh, country bar music. Yeah, exactly. Here. Like background dance club music here. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I like to I'd like to believe that for like the dance club music stuff on the show that like someone on like you know the musical composer like for the show actually like composed those himself because he was secretly like. This gothic, like new wave guy <laughs> who had his own band. He has his like, he has his, his hairstyles like the, the flock the of, cure, flock of seagulls or some <laughs> shit. A flock of seagulls, yeah. or he's dressed up like uh, the the lead singer from the Cure. Yeah, and the whole time he was doing the Robert show, Smith. he was really just trying to like subvert America into liking that like dark droney kind of like music <laughs> that they play on there. No, I, I'm thinking, I, I'm definitely thinking that the composer who did like the creepy music would just be like. Creepy music one, uh, creepy music two, or or he do like uh the, the really one he'd be like uh this is uh scared the 
shit out of people music. <laughs> well, then you also got the Silent Night, Deadly Night, which is what I like yeah. to call it, you know, that you hear a lot in the show. Like, it's like Silent Night, but evil sounding. Uh-huh. But anyway, um, Marilyn Alt, who joined Jesslyn and the two male acquaintances at this country and western bar, recalled, quote, All of a sudden, she sits very still and looks almost past me to the front door. And I look at her, and her eyes drew wide and fearful looking. But I didn't look to the door. I just, for some reason, just didn't turn around. And, you know, as she's narrating this, they're showing her, or the person portraying her in the reenactment. And just the face she makes is, um, I don't know. I didn't, re- it didn't really convey fear to me. More, no, no, yeah. It just wasn't that great, you know? It's like, eh, they probably could have picked someone a little better for the reenactment. Or maybe had the director get more out of her. Yeah, yeah. Maybe he didn't give her enough directions. Yeah, it almost looked like she had to pee really bad or something. Like, that was almost the look she actually had. Well, there there is fear of that, you know? Yeah, I mean... That could be scary. Yeah, it's fearful. I mean, especially if you don't have an area where you can, like, piss at, you know? Like, that's a really... Yeah. Anyway. Marilyn said that when <laughs> Jesslyn suddenly excused herself to go to the bathroom... Well, there you aha! go. <laughs> so I was right. She noticed something suspicious. Quote... A gentleman appears to me out of the side of my eye going directly behind her, and that's the last I ever seen her, ever. Now, that's creepy. Yeah, that is. She goes to the bathroom, and then some dude comes, like, right behind her. Now, in the reenactment, if you're thinking, like, there's, like, the woman's restroom door is, like, right there in plain sight. No, it's more like a hallway that you'd go down where they'd have the men and women's restroom side by side. So they just show her going into this hallway, and then the man follows her into the hallway. So it could have been completely coincidental, you know? It could have been. Doesn't yeah. doesn't necessarily mean he was going after her, but, you know, it's that type of bathroom is probably an easier place to do something like that too. Like instead of like the ones that are right next to each other, like is like you really everybody can see it, you know, and stuff like that. It's walled off. Well, the ones that are out in the open, yeah. Like the yeah, the, that's it, what it I'm saying be, ones, you know. I mean, these were right next to each other as well. But don't you hate that? I hate to go off on a talk about... Like, I hate when you go to a restaurant and they put you at a table that's, like, right by the fucking restroom. Like, that is... <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. I will always be... I will always ask for a different table. Like, the smarter restaurants have finally learned to put the restroom way back in some yeah. hallway. A lot of the restaurants I go to, they're in a hallway near the entrance or something. Yeah. Like they're, or in the middle somewhere. Like, they're never anywhere where you sit right next to the I, bathroom. I guess that's how you can tell a shitty-ass restaurant. Um, CVS, like, place I used to work at, like, the pharmacy. They had a restaurant? No, but they... they, uh, they CVS restaurant. They had their, like, Cokes on sale, their Coke 12-packs on sale one time, and there was a men's restroom and then a woman's restroom, and then this, like, space in between the two doors. They put the stack of Cokes, like, right there. Ooh. It's like, oh, that's nice. So they could smell like ass. Yeah, a little bit of fecal matter on my cans of Cokes. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that, you know? That was, you know, that was real <laughs> shitty of them. Pun intended. Um, so anyway, Jesslyn Rich literally vanished without a trace. To her family and friends, it seemed out of character for Jesslyn to abandon her children and to scrap her career aspirations. Her family believed that Jessica had been kidnapped and possibly murdered. But police investigators said they had no evidence to support that theory. Jesslyn's brother, Gary Muntz, wasn't buying it. Uh, now, this guy, man, this guy right here was uh, the, quite the investigator. So he's quoted as saying, They made light of it, 
called us just, quote, distraught relatives, suggested that my sister had just run off on a fling with some person, which is totally absurd and is just unheard of. Um, Gary tore apart his sister's house. And this is pretty cool. Gary tore apart his a pot. Gary tore apart a pot, a pot his <laughs> sister's house, searching for clues. When he sifted through Jesselyn's trash, he said he found evidence that her knowledge of illegal illegal activities at the prison put her life in danger. Now, quoting him again, he goes, "Inside the plastic bag were many, many pieces of paper torn up, very, very small." I picked up a few of these and I could tell that it was my sister's handwriting or printing. And they were, I'm getting excited here. I'm sorry. I can't read. (laughs) And they were apparently notes or letters to a friend of hers, a coworker. And I figured that I would take them home and sort them out later. Now that's some investigative shit right there. Oh yeah. Who would think to do that? Well, it's like uh, the the case, one of the first cases we ever covered, the one with the the guy who was trying to find uh, the father was trying to find his son that was taken away by the mother who had joined some kooky cult. Yeah. And he went through the trash and found certain addresses and certain stuff yeah, like that. Yeah. They were able to help him out. Back when people like hand wrote shit down on things, now it would all be or kept receipts. Now and threw it in the trash instead of shredding it. Yeah, well, it would all be text messages and Facebook messages and shit now, which I guess in a way makes it easier because. You might be able to hack into it. I don't know. Um, So anyway, the letter had been written to another guard at Frontera. Scrawled on the margin of the last page was Jessalyn's haunting recital of an apparent threat she had received from the co-worker. That anyone interfering with his drug activities would be taken care of. At the time, this letter was the only concrete evidence indicating that Jessalyn had met with foul play. Now, the term taken care of, I've always... When they use it for murder or killing somebody, I always thought that was interesting because for many years, I I was just privy to the whole, well, to be taken care of is to be taken care of. <laughs> like, you're taking care of your cat, or you're taking care of your grandmother, and or something like that. Not taken care of, as in, like, you're gonna, you're, you're going to kill your cat, you're going to kill your grandmother... <laughs> Yeah, that's like someone saying, we're going to buy you breadsticks. And it's like, oh, cool, you're going to buy me breadsticks. No, no, that means we're going to shove a sword into your stomach. Oh, that's not as cool. No, that's actually a term. No, 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 I just made it up. That's a if you guys out there listening, feel free, though, if you ever want to like Boshito somebody or, you know, they're bringing dishonor to your family, you want to buy them some breadsticks, feel free to, you know, copy that phrase that sounds like some shit that like an italian mafia guy would do if he for some reason was also a really big fan of samurai or some shit or like hey we're gonna buy you some breadsticks if you don't keep your (laughs) trap shut so anyway the case eventually went cold three three years later in 1987 an inmate named terry lucas oh my god terry lucas this, this chick right here uh, yes. She told a guard that she had information about uh, information about Jesslyn Rich. She said she was being threatened by other guards to keep quiet. Betty Thompson, a former Frontier prison guard, recounted a conversation she had with Terry. Quote, she tells me she's got information. She's got evidence. She knows who was involved in the disappearance of Jesslyn Rich. And the, the, the lady that they played to reenact this... Um, this lady they cast it yeah yeah uh, it was just terry lucas it was just uh 
what what would you say, Mike? Is it so bad it's good, or is it yeah. just bad? I don't know. I'm thinking. I don't know. I, I think it's just bad. It's hard. I'm I'm like teetering between because like they show her and she's like, you know, they they explain that you know who this Terry Lucas inmate is, and then they cut to her in the reenactment. She's like, I got all this stuff, man. I got all you need. And it just it was such a bad read or such a over. What is it, what is it like the female version of Bismarcky? No, it was, uh, oh baby, you. You got what I need. <laughs> no, it, it was almost like they were, because she was black, and it's almost like they were over-exaggerating her blackness, you know? It was like they were, it's like, hey. Oh, so like the thugs in uh, the Russell Yeah, Evans. it's like, like hey, it's could good. you play that more, more like blacker Segment. and more like, like a, you know, hey, baby, I got what you need, man. You know, yeah. like they, she was really playing it up a little too much. I mean, she could have been like that in real life for all you I know. You definitely but. need to see Hollywood Shuffle because it totally... It, Hollywood Shuffle was so ahead of its time in terms of satire and things like that and having a black comedian star in his own film and poke fun at, at, at those kind of things. Mike... They're like, you need... What? There, there are... I mean, at least in the hundreds of movies I need to see at this point. I mean, add that one to the pile, buddy. I mean, it's just... I think you get a kick out of that one, though. Like, maybe when I'm, like, 61 years old and I finally <laughs> get around to watching that particular movie, I'll reach out to you somehow and be like, Mike, that Hollywood shuffle was a hoot. <laughs> and then you'll, I don't know, hopefully still be alive by then. I mean, I'm older than Dang. you, technically, so. Dang, what, what, we're just talking about mortality today yeah well we're both almost 30 you know you start thinking about that kind of stuff the next 30 years um so anyway the next morning betty thompson went to see terry in the prison infirmary where she was recovering from a cancer biopsy so damn not only are you in prison not only do you have like a shitty actress reenacting your you, who you are but you also had like cancer on top of that betty described what she found Quote, when I walked over to touch her, I noticed Terry was dead. I went out of the cell and I went to the nurse's station. I told them what I had seen and what I knew and the coldness of the room and that she was not covered. Her breakfast tray had not been touched and the nurses told me they would take care of it. Betty said that Terry's body stayed in the cell for a full three days before the county coroner's office was called. What? According to Thompson, an official from the coroner's office was mystified by what he found. Yeah. Betty says there were blades of grass in Terry Lucas's hair and multiple bruises on her face, ears, neck, and lower arms. Her right arm appeared to be broken. According to Betty, the official came to a disturbing conclusion. Quote, He is saying that he sees evidence that she was suffocated with the pillow that had been under her arm that appeared to be broken. Betty Thomas Thompson, sorry, Betty Thompson said that after the official met with prison administrators in Lucas cell, he had had a sudden change of heart. Quote, he told me that they were not going to call it murder and we were not going to say that she was lying there dead for three days. We were going to, in fact, say that she was actually laying there only two hours and that the cause of death was actually complications due to diabetes. Thompson says that one of her superiors demanded that she change her report on Terry Lucas's death. According to Thompson, she was subjected to threats and intimidation for six hours. Quote, 
There was one high administrator that even made the comment that the same thing that happened to Jesslyn Rich could easily happen to me. At that point in time, I broke down and I cried. I hadn't told anything what Terry Lucas had told me, and for him to bring up Jesslyn Rich and her disappearance, it said why Terry Lucas had died. It definitely had something to do with it. Thompson says she finally gave in and signed a false report that had been typed for her. Quoting her here, she said, But I added on the bottom that I had signed the document under duress and the document was untrue. To my knowledge, the document was ripped up, another one was retyped saying the similar things that were on the first document, and that my signature was forged. Well, duh, what do you think is going to happen when they ask you to sign a, a basically... Uh, a gag order and you sign yeah. your name and then underneath you go well, like, uh, this isn't true yeah. and I'm signing us <laughs> under duress were they gonna think well I mean she still signed it even though she wrote all that damning stuff about us at the bottom so yeah we're- I, I would say she, I, I give her credit though I do commend her for at least trying to do that to say like this was you know signed against my will type thing but um, yeah it's just you get further and further further down the rabbit hole in this uh, particular uh, uh, segment, and it just gets crazier and crazier. Like, this is... It's hard to believe. Like, I remember when I first saw this, I was like, my jaw my jaw dropped, because I was like, wow, like, you know, there's corruption, and then there's this. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> yeah, I know, right? This is, this, one is so- step, this is one step above regular, you know, normal, everyday police corruption. Yeah, this isn't some subtle, like, gerrymandering of a district, you know, or some lobbyist getting some kind of thing passed through. This is, like, legit, like, gangster 1920s type, you know, just thuggery going on. Yeah. So Betty Thompson claims she later received a threatening phone call. The caller told her that if she didn't learn to do things in a proper manner, she en- she might end up in a muddy ditch. The following day, a prison officer casually asked her if she had received a call alluding to her being found in a ditch. Betty recalled her reaction, quote, The hair on the back of my neck just stood straight up. I was absolutely petrified because I knew she knew that they were say- what they were saying to me and that she was part of whoever was threatening me. And that's a co-worker. So that's like, all right, I better get the fuck out of here. Yeah, right. Because <laughs> I don't want to end up dead in a muddy ditch well i mean it's scare tactics but i mean you never know like i mean you know you never know when when people are playing those kind of games you don't know how far they'll, they're willing to go especially when this terry lucas lady is found dead in her cell with blades of yeah. grass in her hair and jocelyn uh-huh. rich is brought up and it's just like damn how evil are you motherfuckers so so maybe but but maybe they just you know by muddy ditch they'll just throw you in in the mud you know we're not gonna kill you yeah you're not gonna die it's <laughs> just you're gonna we're gonna ruin your clothes you have to go home and wash them and it's gonna be a pretty decent sized inconvenience you know and nobody wants that as as somebody who suffers from OCD uh, that would be awful for me if I was thrown in a muddy ditch I would hate that <laughs> that would be just so would you like. What would you choose? Like, uh, you'd be like, you definitely would rather be thrown in a muddy ditch instead of alive, right? Instead of, you know, just I don't know, Mike. Shot and then tossed in a muddy ditch. It depends on how muddy. <laughs> Betty says the menacing calls continued for seven months. Then, in June of 1988, Betty was shot at from a moving car outside of her home. 
Thankfully, she was unhurt. But, I mean, who's to say that, like... I mean, you know, luckily she was unhurt, but who's to say they weren't aiming for her? You know, and could have killed her, you know, and shot her. Anyway, Betty said she immediately called the police who arrived at her home moments later. Quote, As I was upstairs filing a police report, a phone call came in and I picked up the phone. It was a male voice and he said, Next time we won't miss. The police officer saw my face and saw how upset I was. He included that in his report. Oh, that I mean, you can take that little fucking police report and st stick it up your ass, man. Someone just shot at me and said, next time we won't miss. And you're just writing this down in a fucking report. I need police here around the clock, motherfucker. I need some Cindy James treatment up in here. I need like round the clock supervision. You know, unlike Cindy James, I am not uh, uh, to use a fancy courtroom term here. I am not malingering about this. This is true. This is not fabricated. So eventually, the scandal was the subject of several front page articles in the Orange County Register. These articles supported insider accounts of drug dealing and corruption. That year, Betty Thompson and five other guards testified before state Senate hearings on the alleged offenses at Frontera Prison. Officials at Frontera declined to be interviewed for this story, of course. However, a spokesman for the California Department of Corrections did tell Unsolved Mysteries, quote, I'm not saying the things people are alleging didn't happen. There's just no evidence to support them. Oh, <laughs> come on. Yeah, I mean, but don't you think those stories, I mean, warrant some kind of investigation? Yeah, you would think. So, do we have any updates on this? Uh, unresolved, but in June 1992, Jesslin's remains were reportedly identified. The dismembered remains were found at San Bernardino in 1985. Police believe that Jesslin was murdered. Surprisingly, Jesslin's daughter, Leslie Grace, recently wrote on a forum that remains supposedly identified as her mother's were not actually that of Jesslin. So she wrote that the forum, on the forum that the remains that were identified as her mother's were not her were not her mother's. Leslie claims that she gave police DNA that later confirmed that the remains were not Jessel and Rich. In 1992, the Orange County Sheriff located a suspect that was a part of a deathbed confession who revealed that he had killed Jessel. In 1984, the person worked at the saloon where she was last seen. In his confession, he claimed that he had taken her to his home, then took her to a remote area in San Bernardino, shot her, and dumped her body. This person has not been identified and died of a heart attack in 1990, making it difficult to pursue more details. In 2009, the case was officially closed and a headstone was made for Jessalyn. However, the case has many unresolved questions, including whether or not her remains have been found or whether or not her killer actually has been identified. Now, what they could have done, the, the, the guards here with the police in this situation, they could have hired somebody else on the outside to take her out. So then it doesn't go directly to the, you know, it's, it, it still can be tied to them eventually, but if there's enough airtight stuff going on and there's enough collusion and there's enough, uh, buyouts and stuff going on, uh, within the police department, uh, then the, it wouldn't really end up going back to them. So maybe they, you know, instead of having like a, a guard or whatever, 
take her out. They had a guard or one of the higher ups in the prison system hire somebody to take her out. It's kind of like, it's interesting. There's a film called Lock Up with Sylvester Stallone and he gets framed. Well, he wasn't really framed. Like he went to prison and he was serving his time and he's about ready to get out. And they got transferred to this really rough prison led by this warden who was pissed at him and had a grudge against him. And there was this whole thing where his his girlfriend was on the outside and they were going to send some guy out. Some guy was getting released, some uh, convicted rapist, and he's going to get released and he's going to go rape uh, his his girlfriend while he's locked up, while, while uh, Stallone's character is locked up, which is pretty fucked up. It really is. But I mean, if, if you... If it is, if things were that corrupt in Frontera, they could have easily done something like that too. Just on the outside, just hey, take this woman out. She's she knows too much. So this is uh, Unsolved Mysteries, uh, fifteen UFO episodes that are out of this world. Um, so I'm just gonna start with fifteen and then go up. So number fifteen is Phoenix Lights. How do you feel about that ranking? Do you think that should be higher? No, than no, no, absolutely not. And and when I was looking at this, um, I, I you know I was like fifteen of uh, the top UFO segments. I mean, Unsolved Mysteries only did about fifteen UFO segments, so it's not it's not that crazy that um, no. Phoenix Lights made it in here because um, I mean it's one of the only ones they had to choose from. As I was scrolling down, I was like, Phoenix Lights is going to be number 15. And then sure enough, yeah. and I'm like, yep, because that's that's all they had to work with. Uh-huh. So so number 14 is Men in Black. Um, a really good segment. Um, the acting was kind of funny. But at the same time, <laughs> yeah. the same time, if you want to believe that that the Men in Black are true and the reenactment where the man passed the woman on the street and the woman's recounting her experience with a man in black. Um, you know, she's describing this man as like like a plastic kind of face and a very, you know, plastic jawline and no signs of facial hair. She said he just stuck out and did not look like a human being. And he harassed her in the manner that he kept. He didn't actually say or do anything, but he, she just felt harassed by him, which is actually uh, a statement that would seem relevant in 2018 that a woman might make about a man. Oh, <laughs> oh, and I'm leaving that in too, buddy. But um, no, I like this segment. You know, I yeah, I guess I'd put it at number 14. Uh huh. Uh, there's a there's a the next one is uh, Lonnie Zamora UFO sighting. What I like about this one is. He's a police official. Yeah. Um, it was back during the 60s, I want to say. So it was kind of like no bull. You know, he he reported what he saw. And did we talk about this one? Oh, uh, we've covered all of them at this point. But I mean, him talking about, you know, these little guys and they wearing like the shoes with the circular footprints, you know, and yeah. and then, you know, he saw the craft take off. He calls it, you know, he calls his friend in there and who's also a police officer. They check out the scene and there's all this like radiation burns on the plants and all uh -huh. this other kind of evidence that, you know. Do you, yeah. Do you think the ranking is is 
Yeah, yeah, that's at that, the right place. That's, that's about. That's, that's not. That's not one of the stronger ones. It's still good. Though. Number twelve is where I start to disagree in some things because they just include an entire like special. Like they don't even split the segments up. And this is mysteries of alien beings. And uh, this one has the Allagash abductions in it. And I number twelve is a bit too low. <laughs> Yeah, even if the Allagash thing, like, just for the sake of argument, even if the Allagash abductions were faked or whatever, it's still such a good segment. They did, Unsolved Mysteries did such a phenomenal job. And then the the four guys and their artistic abilities and all that, it was just such a good, truly scary, hair-raising segment, especially when they're they're, uh, under hypnosis and they're describing what they see. Uh, and the music, and the music, use. and the Ugh. drawings that go. I mean, dude, that it yep. just comes together. I mean, this this should have been number two or number one, in my yeah. opinion. It, I agree. It was pretty fucking low. Yeah, and I think there were a couple other segments that were included in the mysteries of alien beings thing, but I don't remember exactly what episode segments were in that one. Uh, then number eleven is Mexico City UFO. I never, I never liked this one. The UFOs. Yeah, I, I felt the BDOs. The BDO. <laughs> I felt like this one should have probably been like closer to the bottom. But I mean, I get. Yeah. I guess it, the what gives this what holds water for this particular case is just so many citizens in Mexico saw the same thing and they all had their footage of it and it was kind of like this. I don't want to say hysteria, but like one step below hysteria. It was definitely UFO yeah. fever after this happened. And then, um, you know, um, what was his name? Guillermo, Guillermo Aragin and his footage and yeah. Jaime Massan or what his name was, who was the host of just hearing Robert Stack pronounce 60 minutos. Uh, it was hilarious. <laughs> yeah. like He totally switched on his multilingual capabilities at that point. Yeah. So this has some redeeming qualities, but um, I hate these old grainy, um, like not that looks like that could just be a saucer. It literally like a looks pan. like a artifact of dust on the screen. Like you guys all know these, these old, videos of ufos where it literally all you see in the sky is what looks like a little zit this shiny little pimple i feel like a fucking cake yeah it's it's, <laughs> it's so obscured by the shitty video quality that you can't tell what the hell it is it could just be a cooking pot there's <laughs> a cooking pan yeah i mean well with the <laughs> golf breeze one that's pretty much what it was so well that's not on here because of the fact that it's not on amazon but I would I would put it as like an honorable mention. I would do honorable mentions if I did my own list. And Gulf Reese UFO would be one of them because of just how interesting I thought the whole hoaxing was. Moving along. Number ten is Interceptors. Uh I I like that one. If if I'm not mistaken. Interceptors is where they go in, uh, Unsolved Mysteries, they they do um more of the kind of Roswell. Uh, they interviewed um, what's that guy's name? Uh, he's kind of a famous Bob Lazar. Was it Bob Lazar? I think. Yeah, I think it was Bob Lazar, the guy who um, Stephen Douglas. Uh, it wasn't Stephen Douglas. I believe it was Bob Lazar. I'll double check that real quick. But he basically goes in and talks about his experience. Yeah, it's Bob Lazar. He talks about how he actually, and he says it in almost such a 
like coy, nonchalant manner about how he worked with and saw a a a flying saucer and how it was called the sport model or sport edition. Yeah. And how he's like, it hovered up in the sky and it made absolutely no noise. And then it went left and then it went right. And then it lowered back down. He was like, it was kind of unremarkable. Well, unremarkable for a UFO flight. Yeah. But it was... I would... Yeah, I, I like that segment. I would have put it up a little bit higher for me personally because it's one of the most... It, like, out of all these segments, I and mean, a lot of them are really great, but, like, this one... I don't know. It, like, just really got me thinking more than some of the other ones because of the whole... There was this guy he's talking about how... And it seemed rather plausible that maybe it's not necessarily just UFOs. Maybe it is just potentially just experimental aircraft that we don't know about. Yeah, I would have put, personally, I would have put the Lonnie Zamora case above this one just because it actually, like, oh, yeah. deals with, like, somebody seeing a UFO in the sense of, like, you know, it was being manned by alien beings. And uh-huh. this guy's this guy's kind of, like, talking shop about UFOs. Like, yeah, we worked on one in the garage, and then we flew it around. And Well, that's part of why I really liked it, because it was just this whole sort of just imagining yeah. that. You know, because you normally don't, that's, it's, it's unique compared to a lot of the other UFO segments because of that behind the scenes sort of look at, like maybe peel back the, uh, open the doors and, you know, look behind, you know, and have somebody who might've worked on something. Yeah. So I looked him up. It's Bob Lazar and he claims to have worked on reverse engineering extraterrestrial technology at a site called S4 near the area 51 test facility and that the UFOs use gravity wave propulsion. Mm -hmm. So number nine is the guardian UFO. Okay. That one, since we've learned about this woman and how she's basically a huckster. Yeah. Uh, now, I will say I loved this segment before me and Mike kind of like did some research yeah. on Diane Lebanek. Um, so this is this was called Canadian UFO in the Ultimate Collection. And the cool thing about it is when Bob Exler comes into the equation and Guardian and how... So Diane Lebanek sees this weird object in her field and then this guy, Bob Exler, who is a, a researcher in the United States of uh, UFOs, he gets sent a tape from someone named Guardian who shows the same thing that Diane Lebanek saw in her field but from a different angle. So whoever yeah. Guardian was would have had to have known about, he would have had to have had prior knowledge that this was going to happen. And uh, Bob Exler says the name Guardian about 20 times as he's being interviewed um, <laughs> to the point to where it becomes distracting. But you really do have to wonder, you know, there, the tape that you see, it's got, you know, the lights are have to be these big massive lights that would have required a big generator and this, that, and the other. Um, so there's that, but then there is also the fact that Diane, Diane Lebanek said she had knew nothing about UFOs or anything like that. But then when Unsolved Mysteries went to shoot there, they were in her basement. And, I think it was sightings. Oh, was it sighting? Okay. Sightings. They went to shoot there and they found in her basement, all these books on UFOs and shit. And I think she wanted to get into acting or something. I don't remember, but it just, to me, it's, it sounded like. You know, middle-aged woman having a midlife crisis. She wants to, like, break into acting. This little UFO thing during the height of the UFO craze would be a way to, like, 
get her 15 minutes of fame, maybe write a book on it, you know? So unfortunately it goes down on my list for all that, all those reasons. Cause I want authenticity people. I'm not all about unidentified, unidentified fake object. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, and then like the last thing I'll say about that is on that guardian tape, it's like, yeah, you see the the craft from another angle. And then they the field. do the stupid alien. Isn't that the one that does yeah, the stupid then like, they have, people they have, in the Yeah, on the VHS tape, on that same VHS tape, they have like these stills of like people in what Bob Exler described as like really not convincing looking like <laughs> yeah. alien outfits, you know? Yeah. Cheap alien outfits, like they bought some alien masks at Party City he, or some shit. He's saying, like, <laughs> he's saying, I don't know why, if the first footage was authentic, why you would want to sully that footage by having these clearly fake alien outfits or of these alien beings in the other parts yeah. of it. So, yeah. So, uh, number eight is Falcon Lake UFO. I really like this one a lot. Falcon. Um, this one is is great for a number of reasons. Yes. The um well there's there's physical evidence on his body. So I would rank this one higher to be honest because of the physical evidence that is presented. Yeah, here. wasn't this guy's and name? There's another one that's not even on this list, the Betty Cash. Oh, the Texas UFO. I would have put that on oh, here yeah. somewhere. They could, they should have replaced um they could have replaced uh, Mexican UFO, they could have replaced Interceptors with because uh, the Texas one is better than either of those, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, Interceptors, the more I think about it, the more I, I you know, it would be like an honorable mention compared to like some of the other. Uh, but I, I actually like it a little bit more than Men in Black, but that's just no, I really like Men in Black for some reason. But um, <laughs> yeah, the Falcon Lake UFO, UFO, I want to say his name's what Dexter Stefanik, right? Uh, I can't believe how well I'm I'm recalling these people's names. First of all, let me just say I'm not as stupid as I thought I was. I'm I might be more stupid, but my recollection. No, it's uh, I think it's Stephen Mil Mil Michalak. Oh, that's right, Stephen Michalak. We'll just say Michalak. for the sake of uh, getting through this. Um, yeah, so Dexter Stefanik didn't wasn't involved in any UFO. Oh yeah, he was a murderer, wasn't he? <laughs> no, he was the guy who got murdered. I think. Okay, so I'm not as smart as I thought I was. I, I, I cut the ribbon too soon. I gotta have the congratulatory cakes sent back to the factory. I fucked it up. He, he was the old... No, no, yeah, he was the old guy um, who got killed at the rest stop, I think. Yeah, yeah you're right. Hot jock one. So anyway, <laughs> this Falcon Lake UFO segment on Unsolved Mysteries, you have this Mikolak guy. He's this old, charming as all get out foreign guy i think he's polish or something i think he was like a holocaust survivor or something this guy likes exploring the canadian yonder and and who wouldn't if i lived in canada i would be exploring the canadian yonder too they got mountains and mooses and shit um and so that's what he was doing and he got to this clearing um like in this kind of field or plain or mountainous kind of area and he saw a fucking saucer a silver just your textbook description of a flying saucer, and it was landed. And uh, the reenactment I even liked, because he's like, Yankee boy, because he, he thought it was an American plane. He's yeah. like, Yankee boy, you need help, Yankees. Are you in trouble, Yankees? I help you. And that's like, when English didn't work, Mikulak tried German. He's like, Helfer? 
Brauchen Sie Hilfe? Ich kann Ihnen helfen. And then it's like, when that didn't work, and then it goes to like five different, this, this yeah. dude knew like five different languages. And he goes up to the thing, and he looks in, and in Unsolved Mysteries, glorious 90s CGI, they show what the, kind of yeah. a sneak peek of what the inside of the UFO looks like. And it looks like a PlayStation 1 game. Um, and then the thing, the, the ship decides it wants to lift off, and it shoots the steam out of these grates. Um, and the steam shoots through Mikolak's shirt and like the radiation burns the pattern of the grating into his skin, into his abdomen. And for years he had health problems because of that. He was sick all the time and it really fucked his whole life up. His son, yeah. listening to his son describe it, like he's like my whole childhood, my dad was always sick. And you can still feel, I mean, he's probably dead now, but like for when he was alive, you could actually feel the the knobs he, that he called his buttons on his stomach where yeah. there was scar tissue underneath the sub, subcutaneous scar tissue from this you know so this was real how does that happen in the forest people how do you get perfect circular in the shape of a great subcutaneous scar tissue climbing a pine tree you don't you don't yeah. in a, in a in a fucking moose can't dig its antlers into your stomach and make that pattern either so <laughs> so that so that's why yeah that's why i would have it higher and uh i also really like that segment as well because it has that physical evidence as attached to it um but yeah i would have also put the betty cash case up on, on there somewhere because it's very similar uh some uh, uh where someone gets sick or has uh lasting effects from a ufo and uh, in the Betty Cash one, they were sick for like days and like sunburned, suffering from some kind of sunburn sort of symptoms. Radiation. And then eventually they got they got cancer, I think, because all different types of sicknesses. Oh, well, I mean, the doctor in that case is like the yeah. kid, you know, I forget the kid's name at this point, but he's like, you know, we'll just call him Johnny. It's like Johnny's going to have to make decisions for what he's going to do for the rest of his life because of uh, this level of radiation he was exposed to. And the doctor was saying, you know, it would really help us out a lot if we knew exactly what type of radiation they were exposed to. And that's all these women wanted on Unsolved Mysteries for the UFO for the segment that they're involved in. They're like, if it was protecting us and it was a government thing, I could forgive that. But the fact that they, the government wasn't going to give us any help on this and they weren't going to cooperate, they wouldn't even tell us what burned us, you know, is it's just so wrong and... It's like, yeah, man, like that's that's awful. Like then, you know, they it burns out the piece of pavement on the road where they see it, you know, this hovering craft. And then they go there a week later and that only that one piece of pavement, that asphalt has been, you know, picked up and and, yeah. and, and carted off. And there was a fresh piece of pavement there of asphalt there, you know, uh -huh. like, dude, that shit just doesn't happen. Totally missed a uh, segment on this list. Like I, I don't I don't even know why it's not on the list. Yeah, they fucked Is up. Is it because it's not on Amazon or something? I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I mean. All right, we gotta get through this. Up next, we got the Hudson River UFO number coming in at number seven. Um, I like this one a lot. Um, I really liked. I love the look of the UFO in this. Yeah. I, I the the most poignant section because this is all about the people and the experiences and the more convincing and the more the better storytellers these people are at conveying what they saw the the more I like it. 
it, I like the scene where the dad walks outside of his suburban home and looks up with his son and sees this, just what he says, city of lights above me. And this thing was just massive and there was no noise. And at first we were just standing yeah. there in awe. And then he, then he goes on to say, I started uh, thinking about my entire life and, and, and then I became very fearful I had thoughts of this landing and touching ground and, you know, then I became very fearful and, and uh, you know, you, I'm getting goosebumps right now just talking about it. Like, um, it, very great, very good segment. Uh, I, I can agree with it being in at number seven. Yeah. Oh, my God. Number six. Number six is the... Uh, Withville UFO Withville sightings. Withville UFO sightings. This should have been num number three. Yeah, I would have had that this higher. This is damn near close to the top for me. The Withville, For me too. the Withville, Kentucky UFO sightings, uh, or is it Tennessee? I think it's Kentucky. I want to say it's Kentucky. It's Kentucky. Oh, wait. It takes place in Virginia. Oh, yeah, it's West Virginia. Or no, maybe. Just, who, who gives a fuck where it's at? It's Withville, whatever, wherever, USA. <laughs> but this was, the, um, this was the case of Danny Gordon, the uh, radio host who, yes. you know, did fluff pieces in between you know with whatever extra time he had you know in the new when he would be giving out the news and one of his fluff pieces was a uh, police officer managed to kill like two or three chickens with one bullet one time and that was like you know news and you know as he was he'd call the police department you know when he would start his show and um one particular morning they said oh yeah we got this uh, report of this flying thing in the sky someone saw and he's like oh no kidding so he put that on his program, and as a result of that, he got all these people calling in about stuff they had seen in the skies of Withville, and he was getting so many calls that he had to do a separate chunk of time dedicated solely to taking calls from people who had seen these UFOs. So then he decides to go out with his friend and search for his, you know, search for his own UFO in the sky, and he finds it. And he doesn't take any pictures of it because they well they had the camera but they were just so awestruck by this thing they didn't think to take a damn picture of it. And then I think they went out again the next night and they actually did get a picture of it that time. And man, the hell that this guy went through after that. The government was just harassing this dude nonstop. He was getting random phone calls at his house. Um, you know, one call in particular talking about how. You know, this retired general from the military is like, they know about what you're doing, Danny, and they're not happy about it. And they'll get you. They'll hit you any way they can. My son died of leukemia. You know, he's like, they can they can get you um, with, uh, you know, putting these chemicals on your doorknob, on your steering wheel and make it look like it's totally unrelated to them. And he's like, they'll even get your family. And then he's like, you know, Danny's like. You can say what you want about me, but when you get into my fa my family involved, you're treading on very thin water or something like that. The whole segment <laughs> was just fantastic. It was, yeah, yes. definitely one of my more favorite ones. Thankfully, a lot of the best segments are on the UFO. Pretty much all of them are on the UFO box set. Well, I mean, it'd be cool if they if they were all on Amazon Prime, but we don't know if that's the case or not. Well, a lot of them are actually. They're all uh, apparently the Betty Cash one is on Amazon Prime. It's on season three. Oh, okay. So uh, the next one is the Belgian Belgium UFO or Belgian UFO. You know, so none of his Belgium UFO, Belgian UFO. You know, I, I'll be honest with you. I'm not. I've never been a huge fan of this one. This is like the um, uh, the uh, 
what's it's a decent one but it's like really long i remember it being really long that's what i remember that one the gendarmerie the police of belgium it's like the what's that the benny hill or whatever they're like (laughs) benny hill they're like the benny hill of cops these guys are like the most (laughs) like this is like the most slapstick ufo case i've seen on all of unsolved mysteries like they're all yeah. goofy and like jokey about it they're like oh is it santa claus in the sky and blah 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 yeah. and, <laughs> but what they're talking about is some real shit like they're showing pictures of this this triangular shaped craft with these three huge looks like something from star wars like the fucking uh star destroyer showing up but they actually have a, <laughs> something like that someone actually took a real picture of it though and, and they enhance the picture uh-huh. and they actually show in black and white this very menacing large object in the sky yeah. and then they go all like <laughs> in the segment it's like very cartoony i didn't but they did uh as, as a first on unsolved mysteries and for american uh disclosure they had full cooperation from the Belgian government in filming that episode. The, the uh. Belgian government gave them uh, footage when there were sightings of these things in the sky. The um, the Air Force in Belgium went into effect and they got into their F-16s or whatever. Yeah, and, that's that's the part of the segment that's so great is that aspect too. Yeah, and they so I could see why the other aspects are like uh, and they actually you know. show radar footage of these mysterious objects and and it shows them ascending and descending at magnitudes that were that are so they ascended and descended so quickly that it would kill any human being who who would yeah. be in one of those things i would have it on the list at least oh, yeah. somewhere more um, towards the bottom though but I'd probably say not this high because they're missing time is missing. It's not on here, which I disagree with completely. And uh, they did. They don't. Uh, they don't have another segment. The Rendlesham Forest incident, which is one of my oh favorites. Bentwaters UFO. Damn. Yeah. yeah, I forgot about the ones that aren't Jesus. And in the one that's coming in at number four here, Vancouver Lights. Are you kidding me? Yeah, why is it number four? Are you fucking kidding barely... me? That is like the weakest. <laughs> that how did that? It how is. did they even make this list? It would be like it would be like putting that stupid you little UFO from Batteries Not Included heals me. Segment oh yeah, the the healing UFO. Yeah. yeah. Okay, the Vancouver Lights was Dorothy Izot. She had this house and the images are beautiful. I'll give them that. Yeah, she had this house in can in Vancouver, and she'd go out in her backyard when she'd hear this mysterious noise in the sky. And apparently, she saw a UFO at one point. But usually, what she ends up seeing are these streaks of lights in the sky. And she signaled it. Uh, I think she squeezed off an SOS off her flashlight or something, uh-huh. and she ended up. Uh, it created these like streaks in the sky, this like mysteriously, and she took pictures of them. And um, you know, they're like flare. It is a super weak UFO segment because there's no UFOs in this segment. There's no UFOs. <laughs> there's nothing weird that happens. It's just kind of these unexplained streaks of lights. Uh, Dorothy herself is not a particularly good interviewee, in my opinion. She's kind of she's kind of just aloof to the whole thing, you know. She doesn't really nothing about her gives me like goosebumps or like oh man, she's really bringing me into the story. Like I I always like 
when I was back when all I had of Unsolved Mysteries to watch was the Ultimate Collection, I always was bummed out when this was like one of the last ones I had, you know, as far as like, I yeah. watched all the other ones and this was the last one that I hadn't really watched. And it's like, oh, okay, I guess I'll scrape the bottom of the barrel and go here. Uh, yeah, should not yeah. have been number four. This is an awful place to put this segment. I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. Like the images are cool and everything, but I remember one of the last times I was trying to rewatch this season, I fell asleep watching this segment. <laughs> so, yeah, I can understand why. <laughs> uh,. Number three is the Kexberg UFO. A absolutely, the, the absolutely yes. a-okay with this being in at number three. Uh, great UFO segment. Great story. Um, this is when I remember it as a kid. The image of the flatbed trailer hauling the covered yes. acorn down the highway, uh, just hauling ass. Uh, them bringing the box out of the forest right by the kid's house, uh -huh. and he looks out the window and he sees this mysterious big-ass box with these people wearing hazmat suits. Um, I mean, just the whole, the, the ragtag fire department, volunteer fire department team, like going in there with jeans and flannel investigating. But what well, just the characters that, that uh, the real life people that were interviewed, um, that also makes it uh, so such a memorable segment. Like some of the, I think that's the one where we first learned about hauler, right? Yeah. I was looking down yeah. in the hauler. Yeah, I didn't know what the fuck a holler was, but apparently it's like a, a valley or something. Very country-ass term. Well, we don't have hollas here in uh, Florida. There is no mountainous areas here, so I guess that's why I never heard that term. But uh, yeah, great, great segment. Really like this one. Scared the shit out of me as a kid, so I'm okay with number three for that one. Number two is the crop circle segment uh, from the UK. Number two? I wouldn't put it that Number high. Number two, really? I mean, yes, have it on here, and they're still amazing. I mean, I'd have it higher than Belgium UFO, but I, I'd bump up with the Withfill UFO sightings. Yes. I'd even bump up uh, Falcon Lake. Falcon Lake. I mean, given... Like, For fuck's sake, why can I not say that damn Falcon? word? Falcon? What yeah. are you trying to say, Falcon? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, Mike. Slap yourself upside the head for me. <laughs> Now that we're starting to get into like Withville and Kecksburg and the crop circles, the more I think about, it, the more I'm like, yeah, the Mexican UFO and the Falcon Lake one, those can all, those, those should all be really low on the list in comparison to the, some of these that we're getting into. Well, no, I put, I, you know, the let's see if I say it correctly this time. <laughs> Falcon Lake UFO, uh, that that one I. I like I said I like the whole aspect of the physical evidence, so I would have that a little bit higher, uh, but not in like the top five or anything. So on Unsolved Mysteries, there was actually two segments about crop circles. Um, yeah, this is just uh, I. So I don't remember, and I think they're both in England, both cases, yeah. both segments. So I don't know which one in particular they're referring to on this one. If it's the one where. They have the cameraman standing inside the circle while they're filming the segment and the and the sound guys like I'm Well, it's the one from season two. So. That doesn't help me. I watched all of these out of order. I just watched them on the box set. So I, yeah, I, I like these crop circle segments a lot, actually. And I think the crop circle phenomenon is amazing and and I love it, but uh number two, I don't know. I don't I don't I don't know. With all the hoaxers and all that shit, you know, it's like, 
And it was also a pretty lengthy segment. You know, it was early in the season two, you know, early in the run of the show. And yeah, I don't know. Like, it, it's a good it's a good segment. I'd put it lower on the list, to be honest. I yeah, I would too. I still remember the one guy quoting one of the proposed theories of where the crop circles came from and that it was a group of hedgehogs that that yeah. are marching <laughs> marching around at night <laughs> fucking sonic yeah. sonic and friends yeah so i that that was uh i'm surprised i mean i'm surprised they didn't put shit up here like the marfa lights or whatever like oh ufo <laughs> yeah now the more i think about it, there is actually a lot of stuff they could have put up here that that it was a little bit more i mean missing time that was the biggest crime leaving out missing time uh you know and uh the Rendlesham Forest incident. Yeah, I don't know why the fuck that one didn't make this list. That that's like historically um like the first military uh acknowledged like sighting as far as like it, it happening by a military base. There was an official military investigation, you know, a bunch of military personnel went out in the forest with recorders and taped their experience you know i mean it's just and the way the lights look like different phases of the moon was really cool yeah like there's just a lot of really cool things in this segment and uh it's on season four on unsolved mysteries on amazon so they can they don't have the excuse <laughs> it's on amazon so decider.com i i'm deciding that your list is a little lackluster <laughs> So yeah. in at number now, number yeah. one is Roswell crash. Yes, the granddaddy, literally the granddaddy of them all. And so, are they including every part of the Roswell crash? Well, I believe when the episode first aired, it was it was it was all one big segment. They didn't they didn't have the the uh, Roswell Area Fifty One connection when it first aired. Oh really? No. Oh, I didn't know that. I thought that was all one piece. That they well, that was separate. Oh, okay. Well, I'll include. You know, might as well include both of them because yeah, because that first that that was featured in in the nineteen ninety four episode or whatever. I I mean, because they kind of combined the whole sort of thing. Because they're all like uh, the Bob Lazar guy. Didn't they do that? Didn't they combine the two things together in that? Uh, I don't think Bob Lazar was in that one. I mean, no, no, no. Actually, yeah. Uh, the Area 51, yeah. the Roswell Area 51 connection is when Glenn Dennis makes... Oh, yeah, Glenn Dennis. Yeah, he yeah. makes his But appearance. no, I think they. I think it was separate, because the Roswell crash one was, like, a long segment, like the first part. Yeah. Well, Roswell being number one, minutes. of course, that that's that's no surprise. That began everything. You know, everyone knows the story at this point. Mac Brazel's ranch, the debris, you know, Jesse Marcel Jr. recalling, you know, handling the... The wreckage that his father brought home and that it had um, un uncharacteristic qualities to it that was not found here on Earth. Um, the metal, you know, you bend it and it bends right back into place and not being able to burn, you know, certain, you know, things that look like pieces of wood, but they wouldn't burn. And um, then they get into like the bodies that were actually... Uh, the the excavation team that was never been that has never been able to be located after this happened the ex, uh, a certain excavation team for I think some college or something came upon the downed aircraft and um, right at that same time uh, this you know these military convoy pull up 
and they basically, you know, tell him, hey, this is a restricted area. Get the fuck out of here and don't tell anyone what you saw and um, all that business. And uh, yeah, and then you got the Area 51 connection where Glenn Dennis worked. This guy named Glenn Dennis worked at a funeral home that was just outside of Roswell. They got called up one day saying that they need these uh, two hermetically sealed caskets for a child for, ch- you know, for that the yeah. child would fit in. That was included as an update. Oh, okay. In a later episode when it first aired. That's a long ass high production update. Wish they were all I wish they were all that high production, their updates. <laughs> but yeah, so that's uh, yeah. Number one, sure. I mean that started all. That was uh, I saw that one as a kid, scared the shit out of me. Like I thought it was really good. I mean, that's like the 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 genesis of all the UFO craze. That's like the first UFO segment we talked about on the podcast. Yep. Yep. It was many, many firsts. So that's I agree with that one. So that that was an interesting article. That was fun. I can't believe all that shit. I can I just like off the top of my head was able to remember all that except stuff. for Dexter Stefano. Well, yeah, <laughs> that was my one flub, but not perfect. No, but you're do- you're doing good. You're doing good. I just thought that was funny. <laughs> so uh, yeah, that's the podcast for this week. I hope you guys enjoyed listening, and um, you can. Find us on YouTube separately, but oh so equally. Uh, you can find Mike at youtube.com slash OCP communications. And uh, he does movie reviews. What's the last video you just did, Mike? I posted a unboxing video of a package somebody sent me in the mail that recorded a week ago. But in terms of reviews, uh, I posted a review of Ready Player One. Oh, okay. Um... Yeah, Mike's always getting sent shit, and I'm not... I mean, I get sent stuff sometimes, but it's mainly from <laughs> Canadians. The, the, we we need to do an all-Canadian episode here at some point. Um, you can find me at youtube.com slash... Um, da- <laughs> I forgot for a second. Slash? Yeah, youtube.com slash yeah. dancing with ghosts. And uh, <laughs> I do video game reviews, uh, movie, TV shows, TV series reviews. Uh, everything. I do too much shit, honestly. I should have just picked like two or three things, but I do like 20 different things. Uh, my latest video I did, the one that bombed ass, was um, <laughs> Tim and Eric about the Tim and Eric show and how I feel it has changed the face of modern comedy as we know it. I feel like a lot of internet memes and a lot of shit, a lot of the style of comedy that's very popular now, whether you like it or not, came from Tim and Eric and was influenced by the Tim and Eric show that aired on Adult Swim. Now, Mike hates the Tim and Eric show, and he made no bones about letting me know that on my video. I don't, I don't, I don't hate it. I just don't care for it. It's not... It's just not my personal cup of tea. Yeah, so if you want to go read Mike just slamming me and making me feel like a piece <laughs> of shit, you can go check that out, too. <clears throat> um... I said you did a good job at the yeah, video. Yeah, like, really. you, 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 you packed in a little compliment at the beginning, and then you're like, all right, now that that's out of the way, let me c- proceed to tear this video a new asshole. No, I wasn't tearing the video uh, a I know, asshole. You're, I you, you don't like about... the subject matter. No. I get it. Before <laughs> I go, I want to l- let you guys know about your fellow listeners, just so you kind of know. This is like a neighborhood watch portion of the podcast, so you know who you're dealing with. The people, the potential psychopaths that you could be dealing with who also listen to this podcast. I want to tell you about a, a, a man named Corey Cameron, if I can. Uh, now, this is, this is he kind of gave me a little backstory of his life, and, and it's quick here, but I'll just let you know a little bit about his life real quick. 
Uh, Corey is a slow-witted person who has never thought of himself as disadvantaged. And thanks to his mother, he has led in anything but restricted life. Uh, whether he dominated the gridiron as a college football store, star or fighting in Vietnam or captaining a shrimp boat, Corey inspires people with his childlike optimism. But one person Corey cares about most may be the most difficult to save, which is his childhood love, the sweet but troubled Jenny. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, thank you for telling me about that. And uh, there's some uh, apparently he did a marathon one time. Corey has this weird uh, syndrome where um, the various things in your body that break down, like when you run and you get really tired and you can't run anymore. Like he, he just keeps regenerating. So there's some some point in his life where he did this really long run for like across the country and that they even coined this phrase, run, Corey, run. And, you know, it's uh it was kind of corny, but whatever, you know. So thanks for sharing us with us that about you, Corey. Um, you know, it that is a true story, and I don't want I don't want anyone to question me on that, okay? So just you know. If you'd like your own story of about you read on this podcast, consider uh, becoming a Patreon. Patreon.com slash Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries. Did he also work on a shrimp boat? Yeah, I already mentioned that, Mike. Yeah. Yes. How would you know? Well, I mean, you're asking that question because I already said it, but it sounded like you had prior knowledge <laughs> of that. <laughs> we could just cut that out. No, <laughs> no, we're leaving it in. Damn it. I'm not making another edit. Anyway, guys, I hope you enjoy the rest of your life because me and Mike are never doing this ever again. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> until next week, have a good rest of your week and don't die. Bye. See ya. What's up, everybody? Josh here. Just wanted to let everyone know that my new album, The Nightmare Inside You, is now available on Bandcamp, Spotify, and iTunes. Thank you for any and all support. It means the world to me.
I'm actually not starving this fucking time for once. I ate. I'm be- not either. I wow. ate before. Wow. Maybe we I won't- had two sandwiches and some Doritos. I got up earlier this morning too. I got up like at nine o'clock in the morning, and my friend took me back to the variety shop, and I got some more movies. And what I did is I traded in some spare DVDs I had lying around. And the guy was like, you know, we have like 30,000 of these in like a warehouse somewhere. And I'm like, oh, okay, all right. And could you just, I'll tell you what, uh, I'll, I'll, you know, we'll, we'll do a swap here, DVDs for VHS if you don't bring any, any more DVDs. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I'm not planning on bringing anything into you. To your store anymore so so he, he but said, I, I did i didn't say that though he's, he was actually pretty cool about it and i got a few extra things on top of it because you know just you know keep a good so he was trying to basically say that like we have s- such an over influx of dvds that like we, well and vhs yeah that we like we don't even like want to take anymore yeah basically he said they he said they had a warehouse of them uh-huh, or something like that, or trucks full, or whatever, yeah. Jeez. Crazy. That is crazy. Well, I mean, if you figure, like, when the DVDs came out, and that became, like, a big deal, they they manufactured a shit ton of them. Because, well, like... yeah, it, Well, yeah, certain titles, for sure. Some of them, not so much, which is interesting. Uh, and uh, I like his business model. He doesn't really care. Like, he doesn't go off eBay and Amazon. Uh... Titles that might be a little bit more expensive, they're usually five or seven tops, not 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, just for one title. So, yeah, Mm. pretty good. I didn't see any Unsolved Mysteries stuff over there. I've never seen anything in the wild Unsolved Mysteries related except for Strange Legends, which I bought at buybacks for probably way too much money a while back. But other than that, never seen anything in the wild. The last time I remember seeing Unsolved Mysteries in the wild was in uh, when I was living in Oklahoma City and I saw a ghost or UFO box set or maybe one of the two or maybe both of them at an FYE. And I oh, thought wow. they would be out longer, you know. That's what everyone thinks. That's what you always think with that kind of shit. You know, you think that, oh, this is going to, you know, I'll get this later, you know, and then there is, there's never a later. And then next time you look, it's like all kinds of money. Yeah. Uh-huh. I, dude, I remember going to Walmart and like literally seeing those, those chests, the ultimate collection chests, uh-huh. like seeing them in mass, like behind the, the glass or behind the little plastic uh-huh. thing, like in the DVD section, they had like this little like under shelf or whatever, or shelf that was under the dvds and it was like a uh plastic case that you needed a key to open and yeah they just had a shit ton of them and um yeah i mean yeah. you know if i had known that they were going to be i mean obviously that see that's the thing about rare shit nobody knows what's what exactly is going to be sought after 10 years from now that's why sure. that's why you can't really speculate because if you if everyone's speculating on an obvious thing, then guess what? It's not going to be fucking rare because everyone's going to have it. Uh-huh. It's got to it's you got to find something that's out in left field that is like just no one's really talking about, no one's thinking about, and even then that might not be rare ten years from now. Like I have certain things um, in my collection that I thought might be worth money by now that aren't. They are. It's still not worth shit. So. 
Uh, yeah. they, that just shows you the demand that was out there for Unsolved Mysteries. The yeah, fact well, that with that Unsolved Mysteries, also, um, <clears throat> I also remember seeing that box set. I, I saw it at a Fry's, and it was, like, too expensive, like, for my parents. I didn't really want to spend that much. And somebody's just mowing the lawn next door, so. Sweet, perfect timing. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Yeah, that's happened to me before. It literally, like, it, I felt like the goddamn uh, lawn people were just, like, holding the lawnmower up to my window <laughs> and just pressing it against my window. They were just like, wait, they have a timer. They're like, okay. Uh, like, somehow they, they have, like, hacked into your computer and know, like, what time you're going to start recording something. And they're like, uh, uh, okay, it's recording. All right, go. <laughs> start lo start mowing that lawn and make sure to do it as loudly as possible. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> um, but yeah, Unsolved Mysteries, yeah, there's definitely demand for it. It would be nice to see physical releases again, but I don't think that's ever going to happen. I just, I just think physical releases in general are, they're just, they're, I mean, I'm hearing it left and right from everybody, you know, from gamers to... Well, a lot of it is just people who are, like, uh, you hear that a lot probably from a lot of younger people, right? Isn't that where you hear it from? Because I don't hear that a lot from uh, the collector groups that I'm around. They're not like, oh yeah, everyone keeps talking about how it's everything's going digital, DVDs... There's like stupid quizzes on Facebook where they have a list of like five things and it's like, do you own any of these in your house? DVDs, CDs, file cabinets, <laughs> takeout menus. And it's like list, uh, you know, they have them listed one through five. So then you write down how many out of the five that you have. And I'm like, I have all five. <laughs> I still live with my parents and like they still have file cabinets and takeout menus and and stuff like that. What the, like, VHS, I think that would be the one that would be like, okay, all right. But I still have VHS. But... I'm just saying, like, DVDs? I just... I, I don't know, I just like, don't... Who, like, well, like, there's... Even people who say they don't have DVDs probably have some somewhere. Well, yeah, they have like, them, but that doesn't, mean, that doesn't mean they're going to go out and buy a new no, DVD. No, exactly, exactly. No, it's a collector's. It's going into a collector's market, just like video games. That's really what's going to ha happen with physical media, with uh, films and stuff like that. It's already happening with limited edition uh, box sets and so on and so forth, where you get a collectible puzzle with the movie or a uh, limited edition slip cover slash uh, slip case plus, uh, you know, an essay or whatever. Yeah, it's already happening. And it's only going to get even more crazy as the years go by. And the prices are going to keep going up. They're probably going to go up. So I'm trying to get involved with some of these collectors stuff now. So then when, you know, because already some of uh, Screen Factory's early releases have gone out of print. So eventually they're going to run out of stock. And when they do, that's it. It's, it's done. And then when that's out of stock, then they're going to raise the prices up. The people who have them because it's out of print. See, that's how they do it, you know. Oh, Terror Train is out of print. Uh, better be raising that price up to 40-something dollars. Oh, Adventures of Ford Fairlane is out of print on Blu-ray now. Now every copy is 40 to $50, even though copies before weren't that expensive that didn't sell. Now let's bump up the price because it's out of print. 
and and it's 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 really annoying because it's like if it's a title that wasn't selling that many copies before, regardless of how many copies somebody had, or regardless of how out of print it eventually ended up being, they, they weren't selling before for the lower price, and you're expecting they're gonna sell now for like three times as much. <laughs> yeah, see, I I stayed out of collecting for a long time, and I kind of for I didn't really know how like nasty collecting can get until I got into collecting old video games. Like I when I when I decided that okay, I'm gonna officially start collecting Super Nintendo cartridges, you know, because like that's kind of like my favorite system as a kid. Blah blah blah, and um, yeah, just like. Even like video gamers, like in that world, man, like now, anytime anything Nintendo related comes out, people just hoard it. Like that fucking Nintendo uh, Super Mario cereal that came out. Yeah. Like everyone was like, it, for a minute there, when it first came out, it was really difficult to find the cereal because scalpers. Yeah. They were, dude, they were trying to sell it for 30, 30 and 40 bucks a box on eBay for fuck's sake. Yes. Yeah. You know, and, um, and now, now it's in. In uh, you can f easily find it, but uh, I, I actually got a box of it like a few weeks ago, and then I actually liked the cereal, so I got a few more boxes, and I noticed they had already changed the box, and and because the first box had uh, it, uh, amiibo capabilities or some shit where you could scan yeah. scan it onto your gamepad uh -huh. or whatever, but they took that away from the second box, so I'm guessing it's going to be some shit where. The first box is such and such, you know, down the road. And you know what? I'm, I'm not going to lie. I saved my box. I still have it. I have a fucking cereal box now in my game room. <laughs> like, I never thought I would see the day where collecting got a hold of me to that extent. I always thought it was stupid, but I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm legitimately going through and playing all these games that I have a backlog of, uh -huh. though, unlike a lot of collect shelf collectors is what we call, I don't know if they call them that in the DVD. Well, or the people, yeah, they, there are some like that who buy double, buy two copies, one to just display or put in their collection and one to watch. And I'm just like, for fuck's sake. Well, like, these people, like the shelf collectors on. in the video game world are the people who will buy the game and never even play the fucking thing. The, they just... They just have it to go. Oh, look! I have a rare. Well, they can't. Uh, some of them they can't afford to buy two. But with the stuff with the Blu-rays, if it's limited edition, like limited to three thousand copies, there are people who will do this shit. They will buy two copies, either to keep one for for display purposes, or to buy two or more so they could scalp the shit and then make you know profit back and i'm just like for fuck's sake you're taking it away and some people are like i don't even like the movie it's like why the fuck are you buying it then you asshole there's like three thousand copies because it's very limited they're probably thing. on a message board somewhere and they can show it off and and peacock themselves out like oh look at me <laughs> look at look at my shiny peacock feathers you know like yeah aren't i cool you know it's like these people like that, that's like the equivalent of like a Super Nintendo collector or a video game collector in general buying like a blockbuster exclusive uh, game called Hagani for the Super Nintendo. And you could, yeah. you could literally only get it at Blockbuster and you couldn't buy it retail. Uh -huh. So the only way you could have a copy of that now is if you got one off the truck and you worked at Blockbuster or when Blockbuster was closing down and they were liquidating all their shit, you were lucky enough to get one. But but like back then nobody knew that game was gonna be anything. Yeah. So they were selling it for five and ten dollars. Now it's a five hundred dollar game, loose, uh -huh. without the box. 
But there are yeah. people who like will, would buy that game and they don't even play it. They just like put it on their shelf and prominently display it so other people go, ooh, wow, look at that. Like, isn't that something? Like, that's so empty to me, though, you know? Like, that, that, it is. that would get old so fast, you know? And I, I just find it frustrating, especially for somebody who's taking away one of those items from somebody who would have actually used it, you know, would have actually played the game or watched that film. Yeah, exactly. Like, someone who's real passionate about it. He said it more like the person was in listening in the dis was in listening in the distance. Okay, that's not my fault. Whoever uh, wrote this, that's not even right. <laughs> he said it, he said it more like the person was in listening in the distance. <laughs> you know, in listening, man. You know, like sometimes <laughs> when you're you're playing music, you're just in listening. You know. So I would say 